So, Lord, I pray that you would help us to live into that reality. We all still face times and events and circumstances that are totally out of our control. And if we've anchored ourselves in things that are not you, fear is an inevitable emotional response. So help us to anchor our lives in you as our true Lord and Savior, our Master, our Father, who is so good, so that we don't have to be slaves any longer to fear, but we can walk in the confidence of, with an identity rooted in you and who we are in you. Pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Morning, everybody. Hey, Reem, how are you? <laughs> good to see you guys. Uh, welcome. If this is your first time to 12th Avenue, we're really excited to have you here. Um, just uh, a lot. It's just a great family. I love this place. I love the, the people. Church is not a building. It's a community of people who love and follow Jesus, and I think this is a great community, so we're just glad to have you be a part of it. Um, yeah, I'll get to that in a minute if you are new. Um, this guy, Robert, is there a particular... I was wondering, like, why is he hanging? He's hanging for a reason. Because you told me to. Yeah, because I told him to. <laughs> Wanted to show off his new mustache. Wanted to make sure everybody noticed. Um, thank you, thank you, yes. I am no, I'm under no misconception that it looks good, so we're on the same page. <laughs> Yeah, he's, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, just want to let you guys know, this has been in process for a little while, and, you know, we've been, we've been hiring new staff for, uh, I don't know, for four months or so, trying to get us feeling like staff to where we really need to be, and Robert is going to become, in two weeks, our director of worship ministries. It's, it's bigger than just worship leader. He's going to become the director of worship ministries overall and is going to start that November, well, I guess the 11th, right, would be your first day. So just want to let you guys know that that's uh, a change that's happened and that that's coming in a couple of weeks. So thank you, sir, for... Do we all have to grow one of those, Robert? Yes, it's a requirement. <laughs> Hi, Jordan. Where's Jordan? Oh, he's gone already. Is he gone? Uh, he, did he bail? He, he knew that was coming, so he's, he's out of here. Uh, yeah, do want to remind you that the faith promise commitment, turn that in. That is, you know, if you were here last week, what didn't Brian do a great job talking about what he did in Mongolia and how God used him and all of our missionaries that we heard from? But, I mean, if you don't know, because I was one of these, um, because it isn't they've got a full-time job at McDonald's and then they're full-time doing this, right? Their only way of getting income is, is they are living by faith and they're trusting for individuals and churches and all to, to help donate, to help them do what they do. And so the, the giving card that's in here, the face promise, last year we had a lot more people respond than ever, which was great, and we want to continue doing that. So please be in prayer. What is God asking you to give? towards our missions program every week. And then again, our wanting you to, to respond. I know a lot, we're not here for sat Sunday night when we had the official response. So we put these like two or three to a row. And if you didn't get to do that, please check um, your response and leave that. Um, there's a basket back by the doors you leave. If you could just leave that next step, um, just something small, it doesn't have to be big. So um, if you could help do that, that would be great. All right, so... Um, let's see, where are we with this? Just wanted you to, uh, 
see this. This is what most of the adults do in church while I'm up here speaking. Uh, I see you all out there drawing pictures and all. Uh, this one's pretty famous. I just love this. Blah, 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 idols. <laughs> blah, 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 idols. Blah, 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 blah. You know, it's kind of like the Charlie Brown, remember? Wah, 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 wah. Like, I know that's how I sound to most of you, but uh, I'm just really curious, like, um, like I'm, what, I'm holding something really cool in my hand, and I've got a Denver Broncos, go Broncos, little finger thing right there, and I don't know who that is that's sitting in the chair, but uh, anyways, that was, I had to do that. So we are, we're, we're kind of landing the plane on the idolatry thing, can you believe it? I know it's felt like forever, but I hope it's been good for you. It's been good for me, again, as a reminder of understanding my own heart. If you're new here, today may be a little intense, and you just sit and watch, watch us all. I don't know, squirm is not the right word. That's not the point. But you can watch. If you see people squirming, you'll just know that this is the torture I've been putting them through for a few weeks. You can just sit back and relax and enjoy watching that happen. But we've just been talking about the things that we tend to put as the highest thing in our life, the greatest good, the thing that we're seeking our life, our fulfillment, our meaning from. Um, and the Bible calls that an idol because we're created to walk in an intimate relationship with God and we, ended up, we end up putting other things above Him and kind of what that looks like. And today I really want to, I want to, as I'm landing the plane, I just want to talk about, today's not so much about us, it's just about those idols. Um, and just so, I want us to understand the negative impact they have on our lives, the negative impact. And then we're going to really lend big with God next week. Um, so... We're just uh, continuing that. And again, just a reminder, I'm going to come, I've done a sermon on this before, I'm going to come back to it, but, um, you know, as I grow in my Christian life, I should be having a, a growing awareness of God and of His majesty and His holiness, and I hope you don't mind me doing all of this, but at the same time, I should be having a growing awareness of my own, my own sinfulness and the darkness that's in my heart, and that, that is the reality. Even though God is changing and transforming me, if the older I get, the more I see into the darkness, the deep things that are in there. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to do that. It's not meant to be a, a guilt or a burden, and we've been doing some of that. That's what this whole idolatry thing has been. It's been kind of down here learning more about how we function and operate internally. Again, I, my intent is that this will be a freeing thing for you, not a burden, but you'll understand how your heart operates. And the whole point is, is that as, as I grow in my understanding of these things, the cross, the center of everything, gets larger in my life, and the grace of God gets larger. Um, but by the grace of God, there go I, right? And so we're really going to land the plane next week here. Um, so, all right, let's, uh, let's jump into it. So, we're all seeking the good life. Every human being is, right? We're all seeking the good life. I think... Nobody, hardly anybody, is wanting to live a life of emptiness, despair, meaninglessness. Um, even people you see in the, like the dregs of sin, they, they didn't get there because they were wanting to be there. They thought they were following the path of the good life. Um, but the Bible is clear that in the end, our, li- our idols will never lead us to the good life. In Hosea, I'm going to quote some Hosea again because Hosea is so rich. It says, they will eat but not have enough. They will engage in prostitution. Again, if you weren't here a few weeks ago, that's meaning that I have love affairs with things other than God. 
but they'll engage in prostitution, have these paramours on the side, but not what? But not flourish, because they've deserted the Lord to give themselves to prostitution, that we will not flourish as we pursue those things. And I, I love the whole chapter of one of Isaiah's profound. And in it, he talks about how they cultivate gardens and spaces where their idols exist and they go to. And he says, you'll be ashamed because of the sacred oaks in which you've delighted. You'll be disgraced because of the gardens you have chosen. And here's what they end up doing. You'll be like an oak with fading leaves and like a garden without water. That the end of those things is, it's never good. They don't lead to the good life. Um, you know, like all sin, the long-term, long-term effects of idol worship are not immediately seen. At first, they do seem to meet our longest, deepest longings and needs, but in the end, the effect of them is devastating on me individually, but also on the community, and we'll get to that. So if you've been reading the book, just a powerful book, and I think we still have two more copies left. Um, he has, here it is, I need to go a few to get to it. Here, there it is. He's got this diagram um, that I really like, that what we do is we listen to a lie, and then we drink the salt water, and when you drink salt water, it doesn't quench your thirst, right? It ends up destroying you, and then we suffer. And then we kind of give it up, and we're like, okay, I'm done with that, but then we listen to another lie, and we kind of get stuck in this cycle. And so that's what I want to talk about, is this idea of this, this cycle and how we suffer through it. So I'm going to back up a minute, if you don't mind. Um, idols promise like a god, but the truth is, is they pay like the devil. And I hope by the end you'll, you'll kind of have a sense of that. And the main thing really that idols do is that first thing in that diagram, which is they deceive us. Zechariah 10.2 says that idols speak deceitfully. Um, and that's one of the key things you learn in the whole Bible about idols is how deceptive they are. Just as in Genesis 3, idols via Satan's lure, I think, they call out to us. They promise us things they can never deliver long term. I mean, not literally. Um, my work never promised me the good life, or KU never promised me the good life. Uh, the Broncos definitely have not been promising me the good life, right? But I looked at something, I saw it as delightful and desirable, just like Adam and Eve, and I took an eight, right? So the deception was more in here. But, um, but if you remember when we talked about Hosea, he called them false lovers, and Zechariah, you know, 10.2 says they speak deceitfully. And Ephesians 4.22, Paul says that the old self is being corrupted by deceitful epithumia, over-desires. If you've been here, you know that word, right? That they're deceitful. Those over-desires are deceitful, Paul says. And there's five things I think they promise. And here are the five things. I think they promise that if I will, if I'll give my life to my, my musical gift or to entertainment or whatever... That what they promise is they promise to give me a sense of my true self, to really find myself, to fulfill me, fill me up, make me happy, well, fill, fill me up. They promise stability and happiness. They'll give me happiness in my life. They'll give me true freedom because I'm doing whatever I want to do, pursuing what I want, and that they promise me the good life. And part of the deception of idols is that initially they seem to work, okay? At first, they seem to work. Um... Because if they gave us nothing, we wouldn't fall for the lie, right? So they do give us something initially. We wouldn't elevate them to Godhood if they didn't have some kind of return. And 
You know, so at first it does feel like I found my true self, and I am fulfilled in that thing, and the new relationship, the girlfriend, the boyfriend, whatever. I do have happiness. Wow, I feel free, like I've got the good life. But the truth is that the new smartphone, it only gives me that sense of power and joy initially. I think we all know that. We've been there. The applause from the big accomplishment fills my need for approval for a short time. The new entertainment center, my man cave that I build gives me a sense of joy and pleasure for a little while, right? I think we all know that. But then they fail you and they don't fully deliver. And I think we've all experienced this. So what I want to focus on are five areas of how they lie, but what the reality is with our idols. And it's this, it's that they, it's that rather than giving me my true self, they will distort me, distort you, they will disappoint me, they will desert me and devastate me, they'll dominate me, and eventually they'll damage and destroy me. And so I want to talk about, because he does say that we believe the lie, we take the sip, and then suffering eventually comes. So I want to talk about those five ways um, that suffering eventually comes. So first, they, they distort us. They distort us. Um, they promise that we'll find our true selves in them. And I told you that we tend to tie our identity to our idols. They become our ultimate source of meaning and significance. But in this actually strange turn of the tables, I'm going to back up if you don't mind. In this strange turn of the tables, they actually disfigure and distort us and make us into something that we're not created to be. That's why Jesus says in John Mark 8.34 that if you seek for yourself, you'll lose yourself. And I'm not going to say a lot about this one, but man, it is a common theme in the Old Testament with idolatry. In fact, a dude wrote a book just on this, a pretty big one too. Um, And here's what it is. It's the idea that we become like what we worship. We become like the thing we worship. It actually forms us into its image, and it remakes us, and makes us less than human. And that's why Psalm 115.8 says, those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them us. It's just who, and trust in them, forget that. Jeremiah 2.5, they strayed far from me. They followed empty idols, empty idols, and they became, what did they become themselves? They became empty themselves, this idea that I become like, like this thing. I, let me just try to give you one example. Um, if I worship money, if money becomes the thing I live for, money is just a commodity, right? It's not a, it's not a human, it's not, there's no relationship, it's just a commodity. If I live for that, eventually, um, I'm going to start treating everybody and everything in my life like a commodity. So I start becoming like the thing that I worship. It distorts me and makes me into something that I'm not intended to be. If you make your children an idol, when they get to be teenagers, and the rebe- if rebellion sets in or, um, you know, you have a big conflict and they say nasty things that just break your heart, if ch- your children are your idol, you actually become like them and your response to them is not an adult response, but it's a childish response. You actually are being influenced by the thing that has become your idol. So that's why Greg Beal says that we resemble what we worship. So, they distort us. That's the first deception. They promise to give you your true self, but they really end up distorting you. They promise to give you fullness, but the truth is they will disappoint you. Um, In Ecclesiastes 3.11, the Bible says that God has put eternity in the human heart. He's created us with this space in us that only God can fill. Only He can fill that. Only Him being eternal. Um, 
and only He can meet all of the needs, the deepest longings of our heart. We're created that way. We're created for that relationship. And outside of God, there is nothing that can totally satisfy, totally fill us up, totally meet our heart's longings. Blaise Pascal says, this infinite abyss can, on, can, only be, can only with an infinite and immutable object be filled, in other words, by God Himself. So there's this space in us that all of us have that, that's created for God. And that's why if you put anything in this space other than God, it is too small and it won't fill that space up. And that's why Augustine, one of the f- most famous quotes, uh, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And if we follow after these lovers, they promise to fill us up and fulfill us and give us meaning, but the truth is they're only finite created things. They're good things, but they're finite and they're created things. And they're going to, ultimately, they can't satisfy. And the end result, always, when I'm living for something bigger than God, always is going to be emptiness, a sense of being unfulfilled, and a sense, an internal sense of, of restlessness. That's why Jeremiah 2.13 says they're broken cisterns, right? that can't hold water. Isaiah 52, when God says, why do you spend money in what's not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? And then He invites us, come to me. And I love Ezekiel 7.19, speaking of idols and idolatry, says their silver and gold will not be able to deliver them. It will not satisfy their hunger or fill their stomachs. They'll never, they'll never fill you up because they're empty in the ultimate sense, not in a bad way, but in an ultimate sense. You know, that's a good thing. Percussion's awesome. But it's, it's ultimately, it's empty. It can't meet that need in my life, in anybody's life. So they're always going to fall short. They're going to leave your heart empty, leaving you wanting more. And that's why he uses the salt water imagery, right? When you take a drink of salt water, does it slack your thirst? I mean, po- most of us probably haven't done it. So we'll just trust him that if you drink salt water, it only makes you more thirsty. It doesn't really slack your thirst. So our idols uh, are things that we look for, for, that we are looking for our fulfillment are actually like chocolate Easter bunnies. Uh, do you remember the first time you bit into one of those as a kid? Do you remember that? Because before that, you've had chocolate bars and candy bars. Everything chocolate was like whole, like there was, it was all the way through. And then the first time when you're a kid, you bite into one of these things, you're like, my gosh, this thing's empty. Like, what is this? Who, what adult created this thing? that suddenly on this big day that you're eating this thing that you're like, it's hollow. Like, who ever thought of that? Why do they not make like whole Easter bunnies? Uh, Somebody wants to start a company. There's an idea for you. Um, This is what our idols are like. Or the Matterhorn. We were talking about Disneyland last week because Melissa was there, right? And so it it brought back a memory. When I was there in 1976, our family went. And one of the things I most looked forward to was the the ride in the Matterhorn. Because we watched the Disney every Sunday night. How many of you did Sunday night Disney and popcorn growing up? Am I okay? Just three of it? Just uh, just me and okay? Yeah, there's more, right? That we did that kind of thing. And I used to dream of like going to Disneyland and especially the Matterhorn. And so we got there and we got in the Matterhorn ride. And you you come around and you swing in and then you go inside the Matterhorn. And I was so excited because we were going to be doing this roller coaster like in these tunnels and all that. And we got inside the Matterhorn. And do you know what it was? It was empty. So you get in there and you just see a rail and there's empty space and there's a rail coming down there and a rail over there and there's cars over there and, there's, and you're like, you're watching other people, right? And I'm like, what is this? Like, I thought we were going to be inside a cool mountain and this thing is empty. And it, it, it crushed me. 
Um, and that's Disneyland. They've been crushing dreams, one child, one, dime, one ride at a time, ever since. Uh, I love Disneyland, but the Matterhorn was like, what is this? I have since read they have fixed it, and now it's whole inside and all of that. But, um, but that's just what I want you to know is this is what idols are like. They're like chocolate Easter bunnies. They're like the Matterhorn. They look great on the outside. They are good things, but ultimately they're empty, and they'll never satisfy. They'll never deliver. They'll never fill you up. They will inevitably lead you to emptiness. And even if you reach the pinnacle of your career... If it's your idol, it's going to be like a chocolate Easter bunny. I mean, Tom Brady, is he not at the pinnacle of his career still? Like, when's the guy going to get off the pinnacle? We're all waiting, right? Uh, there was an interview he did with 60 Minutes after his third Super Bowl, and I want to show you what he said. Top of his career, right? But he got there, and it's, it's the Disneyland Matterhorn. He got the thing that he wanted and dreamed of, and he's still collecting more, but at the end of every one... It left him feeling empty because a Super Bowl ring can't fill the hole in our heart that God has created. So I just want you to know, your children, as good as they are, and I've got the awesome ones and I've got the best, frankly, but that's okay, as good as they are, they are chocolate Easter bunnies, okay? Your work, a chocolate Easter bunny. Your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's just the Matterhorn. Your achievements, be it athletic or academic, they're the Matterhorn. Money and possessions are chocolate Easter bunnies. Smartphone, Facebook, Pinterest, they're chocolate Easter bunnies. Sports, I mean, Tom knows. Either participating or doing it through others on TV, it's the Matterhorn. Church work, it's an Easter bunny, okay? Those things are not meant to be the things we center our lives on. That's why Dan Wickard said, we're created in the image of God created for God, nothing else will give us eternal purpose or everlasting joy. When we choose to set up a dead, powerless idol and worship at its feet, then we're attended to by a dead, powerless idol that pleases temporarily and superficially. Money disappears, fame fades away, children grow up and leave, our friends fail us, control is elusive. God alone and all His beauty and grace can promise us joy forever. So, our idols are deceptive. They tell us that they'll find, help us find our true self, but in the end, they actually distort us. They promise to fulfill us, but the truth is, is they will disappoint. And the third thing is, they promise us to give us stability and happiness, especially that happiness. And if we'll only have them, we'll truly be happy. But the truth is, they will desert you, and when they desert you, they will devastate you because they're finite and fleeting. Um, Hosea 13.3, speaking of idols, says this, that they are like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like smoke escaping through a window. Isn't that a powerful passage? Psalm 16:4. the sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. And the reason is, is because they're, they're the morning mist that's here and then it's gone. I want to tell you, you will lose your idols at some point. You will lose them because nothing is infinite. Nothing's always there but God. And when you do, when they desert you, they will devastate you. So I did this three or four weeks, five, six weeks ago. I want, I want to kind of hit this. I want to explain why your idols, when they desert you, will devastate you. Not all of them, the big ones, okay, the big ones. Because you remember, 
You will build your life. I am building my life on something. We're created to believe, to belong, and to become. And I'm either belonging, believing, and becoming in and for God, or I'm belonging, believing, and becoming for something else. If it's not God, it's going to be something else, right? And whatever I, whatever I build my life on is what I build my identity on. I t- my identity gets tied to it. And whatever I base my identity to, I end up deifying that thing. My identity gets wrapped up in that object of my devotion. I don't know why there's a question mark. It does. And then that's where I begin to gain value is from that thing. And anything other than God is flawed. It's finite and it's fleeting. They're inherently unstable. When you build your life on anything other than God, you're building your life on the sand. And here's what happens. When you lose that thing, you lose yourself. It rocks you to the core of who you are. When you lose an idol, especially one you're building your core identity on, it will shake you to the foundation of who you are. It will break your spirit. And what happens is, is when that happens, we experience very deep emotional reactions to that loss. And here are the four big ones that when we lose an idol, here's how they'll devastate you. You will experience disproportionate or unrelenting, those are really important words to me, by the way, disproportionate or unrelenting anger or bitterness, or and or excessive and paralyzing fear or worry, and or inconsolable sadness or anguish to the point of despair, and or inordinate, unending guilt or shame. I'm going to say a little bit more about that in a second, but we experience such extreme emotional reactions because we lost an ultimate thing. We lost an ultimate thing. And kind of here's the point. When it comes to loss, inordinate loves create inordinate emotional responses. This is what happens when we lose a thing that was the object of our greatest hope, my highest love, my deepest meaning, that was a thing that the foundation and core of my identity was built upon. Um, let me explain for a second. And I'm going to tell you what I'm not saying. But um, So an example, probably three, four years ago, there was, there was an idol in, in my life It was very significant, and like I said, remember the idols that we put are usually in the highest thing? They're not bad things, right? They're usually good things. They're the best things, so I placed something very, very good too high in my life, and some events happened that it was clear I was losing it, but I had built my identity even tied so strongly to that thing that I went through a season that as I was losing it, I went through a season for me of this one, deep sadness and anguish, and I was going through a lot of guilt and shame because I had built my life on something other than God. I had, I had allowed something to become inordinate to me, and so as that thing was getting lost, you're going to have extreme emotional reactions. It devastates you. When it deserts you, it'll devastate you, and that's what happened with me. Um, so, I'm just trying to think the best order to say this. So, the sheet today, the diagnostic sheet, 
The questions are about this. It's to have you think through questions of your anger, your fear, your sadness and despair, your guilt and shame, and trying to dig down and ask the question, is it possible not everything that makes me sad is an idol, okay? Um, If you lose something important, you're going to feel sad. God designed it that way. I'm talking about inordinate sadness, high levels. Does that make sense, the difference? That's why these strong words, inconsolable sadness, that when you experience those, if you'll dig down This is what I've learned. If you'll dig down under those emotions, a lot of times you'll find, if you'll pull those emotions up, Tim Keller says, at the roots, you'll find idols hanging there. And so I have made it my habit personally that if if an event happens and it hits me really deeply emotionally, um, like really upsets me or makes me really sad or makes me really fearful, that what I will do is I will stop not stop literally, but I will stop. I pay attention when I have an experience an excessive emotion. That to me is a signal of something, and I will stop. And I will, as soon as I can, I'll take some time, half a day or something, I'll go to Starbucks, I'll go somewhere, and I'll sit and ask the question, God, what, what have I lost? What, usually I know what I lost, or I know what happened. Why did that thing impact me so deeply? I'm talking about deep emotions, Okay. And frequently, when I'm digging on that, what I'll find out is, man, I have tied too much value to that thing. So, again, this is not meant to be a thing that burdens you and crushes you. Um, This is a thing that's actually very freeing for me because what it does is it helps me to say, right, right, I've reattached to that thing again, and this event showed me, and it allows me to put that thing in proper perspective. So, this is not a negative exercise. So, use the sheet. I do want to say one thing, what I'm not saying, okay? Because there are people who struggle with depression and there's a lot of organic things going on. So I'm not saying all depression. I'm not saying, you know, if somebody does injustice to you, you will get angry. God designed us to get angry. That is important. That's a good thing. Anger is a good thing. So I'm not talking about that if you're depressed, well, you've just got idle problems. So don't, don't misunderstand me. All I'm saying is, is when you experience a deep, excessive emotion, stop and just ask the question, is it possible that there's an idol tied to that, and it's deserted me, and I'm feeling devastated. Does that make sense? So don't don't get me wrong. I'm not saying all your emotional problems are tied to idols. Um, And I could probably sit here for 30 minutes and try to say that, and somebody's probably still, I mean, it'd be easy to be like, well, gosh, my depression is, is idolatry, and that may not be the problem, okay? So that's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying when, if you encounter an event, it impacts you emotionally, deeply, be willing to stop and say, why was that? Even not just the negative. I've learned to even do the positive. Somebody will say something to you that makes you feel, I've had this like, wow, I, the joy I get from that is like, feels excessive. Like somebody gives you a compliment and you're like, whoa, that hit me. I took that too strong. Does that make sense? And what it, what it does is it makes you ask that question. God, that approval idolatry I struggle with, is the reason I reacted so positively, excessively positively to that, because I'm kind of living for the need of people's approval right now, help me to get that under control. Because if you're living well, somebody will compliment you, and you can feel good, that's okay, but it's kind of normal. But when you, for me, when that thing rises like, whoa, they just made my month, okay, if it made my month, that approval idolatry has probably crept back into my life. So, okay. So, C.S. Lewis says, the books are the music in which we thought the beauty was located will betray us if we trusted them. It was not in them, it only came through them. These things, the beauty, the memory of our own past, are good images of what we really desire. 
really desire. But if they're mistaken for the thing itself, they turn to dumb idols. And he says, what will they do? Breaking the hearts of their worshipers. They will devastate you. They will devastate you. By the way, I think this is the reason for not all of it, but a lot of our insecurity is because we know inherently deeply that the things we are basing our lives on are unstable and can leave us any minute. And I think a lot of our struggle with insecurity is because of we've tied our identity to things that we shouldn't. All right. Then fourth, I want to talk about dominating. Um, your idols will dominate you. They promise freedom. You're free to choose your own path, to make this thing that you delight in, desire, the highest thing in your life. But I want to tell you, the thing you choose to elevate to being the greatest thing will dominate you. It'll distort you. It'll disappoint you. It will eventually desert you. And when it does, it'll devastate you. And then it'll dominate you. Um, we think we gain liberation of those things, but ultimately we become enslaved. We become addicted to them. If I gain my meaning or my security, my happiness from my family or my work or my house, some other God, you actually become spiritually addicted to that thing. In order to keep your sense of security and happiness, you have to have it. It becomes something you cannot live without, and you fall into the classic patterns of addiction. And I could go through the classic patterns of addiction, but I, I'm going to hit one. Um, when your heart loves anything inordinately, you will fall into patterns uh, that are not unlike substance abuse. An identity not based on God, God will inevitably lead to deep forms of spiritual addiction. In his book, yeah, I was going to show you, yeah, this whole thing of, of the, the ring is so great, an example of addiction. But we don't ever have problems with addictions, do we? In his book, Sipping Salt Water, here's what he says. Not only do these gods fail to deliver on their promises to hydrate our souls, they leave us thirstier than we were before, with biting hangovers as a result. But we once again believe the lies. We sip more salt water, usually in greater quantity, to, sat to satisfy our intensified thirst. We become more spiritually dehydrated. It wears off. We're more parched than ever. And the salt water cycle starts over. Pretty soon, we're no longer sipping, we're gulping. And with every trip through the salt water cycle, our gulps become deeper and more frequent. Our tolerance to salt water grows. Our withdrawal symptoms worsen. After enough salt water cycles, we need salt water just to feel normal, and we're officially addicted. So he even talks about it in terms of, like, addiction. The thing he's referring to is what's known as the law of diminishing returns, that the first time you indulge in something, anything, there's a high payoff at the very beginning, right? The return is high. Momentarily satisfied, but then you need another hit of whatever it is. And as you continue with that thing, the amount of the return diminishes over time. And you start to experience a letdown from that thing. The same activity will not give you the same level of experience the next time, and so we need more and more and more of that thing to return to the initial experience. We develop what Ephesians 4.19 calls um, a continual lust for more. In Ezekiel, Referring to idolatry, he says this, you engaged in prostitution, again, not literally, but meaning love affairs with something other than God, with the Assyrians too. You were insatiable, and even after that, you were still not satisfied. That's this, this addiction. And addictions always lead to, uh, yeah, I, I was going to say, addictions always lead to, sorry, to enslavement. 
to enslavement. So the addiction, and addictions are always enslaving. And I talked about this in my last sermon, so I don't want to say too much, but the things that we love too much, they make gracious servants when we use them how God intended, but when we love them too much, they become masters and terrible masters at that. Um, anything more important to us, God, will become our master. It will become the Lord of our life. What was supposed to fill this hole that it doesn't fill, but that thing begins to own us. And they're never good masters. Like an addiction, it will control and consume your life. Your life will begin to revolve around it to such a degree that it becomes an obsession. And it starts, other things in your life start breaking apart. And I, it reminds me of Marley in A Christmas Carol. I've seen this hundreds of times, not hundreds, I've seen it a lot. But a few years ago, I watched it, and what, when Marley showed up with the chains, who had been his business partner, and who was an addicted to money like Scrooge, the words to me were so powerful. Scrooge says to him, you're fettered. He said, trembling, tell me why. And Marley said, I wear the chain I forged in life. I made it link by link, yard by yard. I girded it on my own free will. Out of my own free will, I wore it. And that's what idols do. They become this addictive thing that will enslave you. And you get trapped in it and you feel like you can't get out. Edward Welch said, the purpose of all idolatry is to manipulate the idol for my own benefit. We want to use them, right? I want to use that for me, that fabricated God. It's intended to be a mere puppet king, a means to an end. Idols, however, do not cooperate. Rather than mastering our idols, we become enslaved by them. Forgive all the sports references. Uh, I've never struggled with that as an idol. Um, Steve Nash one of the greatest basketball players ever, more than 17,000 points, 10,000 career assists. Look at what he said. I didn't feel right if I didn't train, so I just trained all the time. I was preoccupied with the thought that I should be in the gym. That made me the player I was, but at the same time, I became a prisoner of it. We've all been there, haven't we? We've all been there. Jeffrey Satinover says, idols ask for more and more while giving less and less until eventually they demand everything and give nothing. So this cycle, we listen to a lie, we drink, and then we suffer. So my final point, um, they will dis the deception is, you, you know the deception, but they will distort you, they'll disappoint, they will desert you and devastate you, they'll dominate you, and then they'll... They'll actually um, damage and destroy you. Um, just does Zechariah tend to? Skip down to that. Therefore, the people wander like sheep. He's referring to idolatry, by the way, because of their idolatry. Therefore, the people wander like sheep, and they are oppressed for lack of a shepherd. And Hosea 8, 7 of idolatry says that when we sow into that, we're sowing the wind, but what we reap, reap is the whirlwind. An idol will damage you. I didn't bring my phone up here. I should have because I was going to use it. Um, I mean, I could use my iPad, but then I'll probably mess that up. But, I mean, here, we can use my djembe. Um, I want you to think of this principle. Everything that's created is created for a purpose, right? Everything that's created is created for a purpose. What's the purpose of this? Right? So it's to play. And as long as you use something for the purpose it was created for, it works well. Right? But what if I use this for a purpose it's not created for? So what if we need some nails put in the wall over here, and I, I don't have a hammer, so I decide I'm going to use the head of my djembe uh, as a hammer. 
Do you, one, do you think it's going to work well as a hammer? No, it's not going to work well. So when something lives for something it's not created for, it doesn't work well. But not only is it not going to work well, what's probably going to happen to the head of my djembe when I go to hammer a nail with it? It's going to become broken, right? When you use something for a purpose it was not created for, it doesn't work well and it will become broken. And that's what happens to us. We are created for a relationship with God. And if I live my life for music or I live my life for entertainment, it will not, I will start not working well and eventually I will become broken. That's why Tim Keller says the world is littered with broken and shattered lives of people who live for something other than God. And we've all experienced this. Um, you know, we talked about this the second week. Do you remember this thing about desires being disordered, put out of the wrong order, you know, good things, right? So work is a good thing, but family is a, would you say a lesser thing or a better thing than work? What would you say? I want to hear the wives, not the husbands. Greater thing, right? See, the women are a greater thing, right? That's the proper order of things. C.S. Lewis had this principle of first things, that when you get something out of its proper order, when a second thing becomes a first thing, he says something really interesting happens. When a second thing becomes a first thing, you, you start losing the first thing. So if a man, if you start, let's say a husband, starts overworking, overworking, coming home late all the time or whatever, dinner's always cold, uh, how's the wife going to feel about that usually? Very happy? Yeah, so he kind of starts losing her. Relationship starts getting bad. But here's the interesting thing. C.S. Lewis says not only do you lose the first thing, but you actually use the, you lose the second thing that you elevated above it. And we know when things aren't well at home and there's strife at home, guess what happens to you at work? Your motivation levels, your ability to perform. Does performance go up or does it go down? It goes down. So anytime we make second things first things, we break the whole system. We actually lose not only the first thing, but we lose the second thing. And it's the same thing with God. If I put wife and children work higher than Him, I not only am losing my, my walk with Him, but, I mean, all of you know this, when I'm not walking with Him and that selfish flesh desire, you know, starts coming more and more out, I'm not a good husband, I'm not a good father, I'm not a good worker, right? We all know that. So it's, our, our idols will break us and they'll damage us. Um, it's, it's like the top button of a shirt. If you get the top button of a shirt wrong, you get all the buttons wrong. Does that make sense? Okay. How many of you here today were cringing for me, standing in public? <laughs> okay. More importantly, how many of you were cringing for Pat this morning? <laughs> okay. See, because if, if you don't get this one right, none of the other buttons are going to be right, and everything gets out of alignment. And if you want to know where I learned this principle from, I learned from Titus Delmott. This last week during uh, Halloween, when he showed up and he showed me the right way to dress, you just, the buttons don't matter, you just do them however you want. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> totally love that. Okay. Uh, they not only will damage you, I'm needing to land this, really land this one, they will damage your relationships. Look at what James says. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from the over-desires, the epithumia? We've talked all about that, things we desire too much, the battle within you. You want something, but you don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. Do you know where most conflict comes from? It comes from an idol. It comes from something that we love too much. And if anybody threatens that thing in any way, they're going to take it or they're going to put it in its right place or whatever. We have emotional responses to that, and it creates conflict. 
Um, the best author I've read on conflict is Ken Sandy. This little book, Resolving Everyday Conflict, it's, it's small. That's great for a family if your kids are teens. I really highly recommend it. He says that most all conflict comes from an idol and somebody's poking at an idol that I have. And that's what generates a lot of the conflict in our lives. So if I have conflict or difficulty with people, a lot of times I'm asking, is the reason I'm so angry or hurt because something I've tied my identity to, something I thought was essential to my life and my happiness, that that's being threatened in this relationship or by this person? Is that why I'm reacting the way I am? Um, and eventually our idols will end, they'll destroy you. And Hosea 13.9, again, speaking of idolatry, says, you are destroyed, Israel, because you're against me, your helper. As Shakespeare says, they will take their pound of flesh. As this book says, salt water eventually will kill you if you keep consuming it. You will die from it. And we've looked at James a lot these last several weeks, but I want to come back to it. Each one of you is tempted one by his own Evil desire, right? The things we desire too much. He's dragged away and enticed. After over-desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Sin, when it's full-grown, gives birth to death. That's the end result of all idols. That's why Tim Keller calls idols fatal attractions. Because what I die, I may not literally die, but I'll die the death of lost meaning, the death of lost peace, the death of lost joy, the death of lost freedom, the death of lost relationships, the death of even losing myself. And if I continue living my life, never entering into a relationship with God through Jesus and His cross, I never bow the knee to Him, I never accept that relationship, um, I will have ultimate ruin, where when I die, God will say, you never wanted me in life, and your will is done. The thing you never wanted in life, you get that in eternity, and, I'm for, and I risk being forever separated from Him if I've not entered that relationship with God through Jesus and His provision. All right, I'm I'm getting to the end. C.S. Lewis, uh, there's, man, he has so many good quotes on idolatry, but every created thing is, in its degree, an image of God. Right, they're good things. The ordinate and faithful appreciation of that thing, a clue which truly followed, it will lead us back to him. Every created thing is no more than an image that every one of them followed for its own sake and isolated from its source becomes an idol whose service is damnation. Way to tie it up, C.S. Um, how many of you watch Lord of the Rings? Okay, I've encouraged you, live in the Bible, visit good books, watch good movies. Um, written by a person who, who followed Jesus, a very biblical worldview, and I find that his image of the ring is so powerful and relates to all of this. How that who, it didn't matter who got that ring, it became their precious. And they couldn't let go of it no matter what happened but that it inevitably, it turned the owner ugly over time. That's what happened to Smeagol. He even forgot his name and became Gollum through the process. And it'll disappoint you. I still remember when Bilbo said, having had the ring for so long, I feel a bit thin, sort of stretched, like butter over too much bread. It'll leave you empty. Extreme emotions will come out. If anybody threatens that thing, it creates extreme emotions in people. And then the reality is, is you can't destroy it. Everybody who has it can't destroy it. And it becomes a burden. We see with Frodo, I don't know if you noticed, it, it was so heavy and enslaving that it, it like was cutting into his neck. And at the end of his life, Bilbo goes, you wouldn't happen to have that ring, I still wish I could hold that thing again. Just that enslaving nature of it. And how it destroys community. Time and time and time and time again. 
community is ripped apart because of that ring. And in the end, it will destroy you. Um, it's a powerful image of what idolatry is. So the next time you watch Lord of the Rings, like keep that in your mind. So let me wrap it up. They promise you true fulfillment, true self, fulfillment, stability and happiness, true freedom, and they promise you the good life. But in the end, they will destroy you, distort, they'll disappoint you, they'll desert you and devastate you, they'll dominate you, and they'll damage and destroy you. And in a chapter about idolatry, God says if only they were wise and would understand what their end will be if they continue to follow those things. And I number myself among those people who are not wise. So, okay. I'm going to skip the cool deer thing. This is why there's three times in the New Testament Paul says flee something. Only three things. Flee sexual immorality. Speaking of the love of money, he says flee from that thing as fast as you can. And the other one is, in 1 Corinthians 10, 14, he says flee from idolatry because of these reasons. We need to run as fast as we can from that thing. So, who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Who's going to rescue me from these things? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And here's what God says, I am like a flourishing juniper. Your fruitfulness comes from me. Who is wise, let them realize these things. Who is discerning, let them understand. And so what we're going to do next week is we're going to make the turn to God and we're going to finish with Him because you've got to finish with Him. And I'm going to talk about how do you become free from your idols. And God is the only one. So would you stand with me? I'd like you to end with a prayer. Sorry. A little long, but I really feel passionate about this thing that we did today because I think it's so important to understand the reality of them, where they will lead you because um, we don't want to live with that deception. All right. Would you pray this with me, this final prayer? Give me, O Lord, a steadfast heart, which no unworthy affection may drag downwards. Give me an unconquered heart, which no tribulation can wear out. Give me an upright heart, which no unworthy purpose may tempt aside. Bestow on me also, O Lord my God, understanding to know you, diligence to seek you, wisdom to find you, and a faithfulness that I may finally embrace you through Jesus Christ our Lord. And God's people said, Amen. Come back tonight for the baptism, 430, the other building, and you guys are sent.